Good morning, New City Church. My name is Dan Nelson, and I have the privilege of reading the scripture today. Today's scripture is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Chapter 5, verse 17, the word of the Lord to you today. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, making God, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Dan. Good morning. My name's Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my... Uh, privilege to share God's word with you today. And we're in a, a key passage for the Christian faith today. It's really some foundational stuff about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And um, as usual, uh, I feel like this message is mostly for me. As I've been studying this week, the Lord's just been uh, renewing uh, these thoughts in me, um, inspiring me in some new ways, but I hope it's helpful to you as well. And so our theme for today is this theme of newness in, in Christ, but I can't help when I think of newness uh, to think of the opposite of that, which is oldness. Um, and I recently had a birthday and I turned 46 years old. And my daughter, who's 16, um, this has been a, a theme lately for the last couple of years. She reminds me that uh, I'm halfway to 92. And I was like, oh, that's, that's inspiring. Thank you. Um, but it's a sobering reminder, right? Like, oh, man, um, you know, I'm not new anymore. I'm getting older. And uh, I don't know what Saturday looks like for you, uh, but on Saturday, I feel like I have uh, this decision to make as I, as I contemplate my day uh, to be productive or to kind of give in to my oldness and do what my body is telling me to do. Yesterday, I chose to give in to the oldness. And as I sat on my porch feeling old and feeling tired and feeling my body uh, worn out that, oh, yeah, she's right. Um, I am halfway to 92. I'm not 25 anymore. And uh, looking at my yard and, and my house and realizing it's not just my body that's getting old. It's like the whole world is getting old. <laughs> Isn't that true? Is that you look at your home, uh, we bought a little bit older home, and it's like it constantly needs repairs. Um, and, you know, you look at your yard, and it's constantly overgrown and constantly needing attention. And this is just the reality of the world around us. And so as I think about this idea of newness, there is this trajectory in the world that everything in the world moves from new to old, doesn't it? Everything. Everything moves from new to old. To old, and yet there's something deep inside of us that longs for things to go the opposite direction, to, to move from old back to new again. And there's whole industries in every segment of our life that promise us that we can move from old back to new. For our bodies, we can take vitamins and supplements and do, if we just do this workout program, we can be like we're 25 again. But they're all failed promises, aren't they? 
And it's just this reality that no matter how hard we try, things just go that way. But yet we have this longing. And so my question today is, where does this longing come from for us to go from old back to new again? And I want to submit to you that this is a deeply spiritual longing. It's not just a material longing. It's not just hubris that, you know, we want to look young again or we want our house to be perfect again. There's something deeply spiritual in this longing because spirituality ultimately is the realm of meaning and identity and purpose. Meaning, identity, and purpose. And it's in that space of purpose and identity and meaning that we find this question, um, why is it that we desire so much to be made new again? And so there's a parallel reality that as our bodies grow old, as the world around us grow old, uh, that in our spiritual life, though, in Jesus, it's possible. It's possible. And in fact, it's extremely necessary as we're followers of Jesus to move the opposite direction, that what we're invited into is a life against the grain of the world where the old indeed does become new again. And so the question is, how is this possible? And that's what the Apostle Paul talks about in our text for today. And as we get into the text, we're just going to move through it, starting in chapter 5, verse 17. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to to open it and be in it today. Part of what we want to do is we're preaching and teaching the scriptures is, is be in the text together. And I hope that you don't just hear a word from me, but that you're in it for yourself as well. And that maybe it inspires you this week to just to maybe this whets your appetite and you want to get in there and, and look at these words because there's so much more in these scriptures than we can share on a Sunday morning. But just invite you to be in this as we move through this together. So how is this? that we can move from from old to new. Verse 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And so here it is, this promise that the thing that we long for most deeply, that everything that's wrong, everything that's broken, um, everything that's fractured in our spiritual lives, in our relational life with God, in our relational life with ourselves and with other people, can indeed become new. Well, what does that look like? You know, one of my favorite authors is a guy named James K.A. Smith. He's a a professor of philosophy, and he wrote a book, which I highly recommend, which is called You Are What You Love. You Are What You Love. And he says this. He says, our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow. What is he saying? He's saying that at the core of our person, at the core of our being, are our wants and desires, our longings. At the core of our being is our identity. And so uh, when Paul says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, what is he talking about? He's talking about that part of ourselves that is in the realm of longing and desire and identity, that this is what has the capacity to become new in us. And I just want you to pause for a minute and think about in your life, what, does, what would it look like if those things move from old to new in your life? That, that the things that you most deeply long for were suddenly made new in a way that breathed fresh life into you. If you understood your identity in a fresh way that gave you life and wasn't exhausting to you, this is the invitation that when we belong to Jesus, and that key word is belong, when we belong to him, that we become a new person and that the innermost part of us moves from oldness to newness, somehow in the mystery 
of God? Well, that's a complicated thing to understand. So I wanted to tell you a little bit of my own journey in that, because I think sometimes the best way to understand deeply spiritual things is in the realm of story, because story has a way of holding complexity, and each of us are so complex. And this idea that we're talking about, that as we belong to Jesus, that somehow the innermost parts of us can become new, that's, that's a complex idea. Uh, simple words, but a complicated idea. Well, this is what that looked like in my life. When I was uh, growing up, and I've told bits and pieces of this story, so over time as you hear me, you'll probably piece together what my life um, has looked like, I hope. Um, I think that's an important thing to do in the community of faith is to share stories with one another, and I desire that you would know um, my story as well. And so when I was growing up, uh, I was a kid who always felt like I didn't belong, didn't fit in. And there's reasons for that. Uh, I've shared with you before that I was really overweight as a kid. Uh, another aspect was that my voice didn't change until much later than other kids. So I had a really high-pitched uh, voice, which kids, you know, would just, kids are mean. Um, and would, would make fun of me for being overweight, for having a high-pitched voice. And I just didn't feel like I ever fit in. And then I found myself at church. We were at Forest Hill Church. And I remember that, you know, uh, fifth grade and sixth grade, uh, there was a common thing that Chris Payne and I actually had in common. And the common theme we had was there was a bully at church, actually, in fifth grade that would uh, come after Chris and I. And so I think that's what bonded us. The Lord knew what he was doing, that later we would need this bond that was forged in the fire of fifth grade in the basement at Forest Hill. Uh, but there was a bully who made fun of us and chased us. And, and so I grew up in that part of my life as I entered into adolescence with a lot of fear and with a lot of lack of understanding of who I really was. And so these deep things of identity, I didn't really know who I was. And I was constantly trying to figure that out within the context of my social life, as is the way with all people, but particularly teenagers. And so uh, I moved in through seventh grade, worst year of my life, Quail Hollow Middle School. As I drive by Quail Hollow, I still like shudder at the thought of walking those, those hallways. But then something happened in eighth grade when I was 14. It was October of my eighth grade year, and our youth group went on a, a beach trip to Ocean Isle, North Carolina, which will always be a holy and sacred beach to me. Um, and we were in a house there, and I remember the theme of the weekend was Can't Buy Me Love, if you've seen that old movie. Um, it's a great movie from the 80s, I think. Um, but that was the theme is you can't buy me love. And that deeply resonated with me because I realized what I was doing was I was longing to be loved. I was longing to be accepted. I was longing to know who I was. And that was what I most deeply desired was to know that I belonged. And I don't know if any of you resonate with that today, that that, that is for most of us something that we deeply long for, to know that we belong, to know that we matter, to know who we are. And so I entered this retreat at Ocean Isle uh, with those questions in mind. And I remember trying to figure it out, trying to fit in, and that it wasn't working, that there was no group of kids, even at the church, that I fit in with. And I remember walking on the beach and feeling and actually being completely and utterly alone. And then that evening, we walked into the big meeting time, and after dinner, uh, we watched a, a, a video that basically presented the gospel and showed a picture of the crucifixion. And I don't know what happened in that moment, particularly because I'd heard the story of the, what Jesus had done on the cross, that he had died so that my sins could be covered, that somehow that meant that I belonged. And in that moment, the spirit of God washed over me 
in that message of reconciliation that we're going to talk deeply about here in a minute, all of a sudden spoke directly into my heart. And in that moment, I heard, Gabe, you belong. Gabe, you are mine. And in that moment, the oldness that existed in me suddenly became new. And I don't know, not everybody maybe experiences this, but I felt a surge of God's power in that moment. And all of a sudden, I felt his love. And it changed me. It changed me. And I went back into my eighth grade year as a 14-year-old. And I remember going back to Quail Hollow to those same hallways that had walked in the year before where I'd felt so isolated and alone, where I'd wrestled with these questions of identity, where I had longed for purpose and belonging. And suddenly, I did, none of that mattered because I knew that I belonged. I knew whose I was. I knew that somehow the God of the universe called me his, and I felt a deep sense of purpose. And it, the thing that I moved towards almost immediately was I wanted to share that purpose with all the kids around me, and I became the lunchroom evangelist. And I was now that kid. And so I never moved out of the realm of weirdness, but this time I didn't care. And then I made a career of it. So it all worked out. But that's just an example of one story of what it looks like to move from old to new. And I think we all have our particular version of a story like that if we belong to Jesus. And I don't know where you are today, whether you've committed to your life to Jesus and you would say, I belong to him, but, but I've forgotten some of these things and, and I've been trying to figure it out on my own again and I'm exhausted from that. Um, or maybe for some of you, you've never, you've never really had that encounter with God. And so your curiosity is peaked and you're wondering, like, what does that feel like to move from old to new in your life and the deepest parts of yourself? Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. The old ways, the old inclinations, the old striving to figure your life out, the old identity, it's all gone. And instead, the new life has come. Well, I want to ask this question, how does this work? Where does this come from? Verse 18 answers us, all of this is from God. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. All of this is a gift from God. So we learn here that the work of salvation through Jesus is his work alone. And this is so important to hear because there's a great temptation to think that it's up to you to figure this stuff out. It's up to you to make your own way. It's up to you to make your life new again. Even as a Christian, we're constantly drawn back into this false narrative that somehow it's our work. And so I just want to name some things that, you know, we may be inclined and tempted towards, because I'm inclined and tempted towards these things as well, is, is we need to be reminded that Jesus didn't come to be your co-pilot. And, and so much of of cultural Christianity is just this idea that, you know, you're in the driver's seat of your life, and I mean, you're the one making the decisions, and really, when good things happen to you, that's because of good things that you did, and if bad things happen to you, that's because of bad things that you did, but you really, you're in the driver's seat, and Jesus, he's kind of, he's kind of in the passenger seat, and he's a good person to be in the passenger seat, because he has wisdom, and he has a kind voice, and he pats you on the shoulder as you're driving your life. And there's a temptation to think of it that way, but that is false. That's not 
what Jesus came to do in your life. Secondly, we might believe that, you know, Jesus came so that we could turn over a new leaf. Just again, so that it's really just up to us that we just, you know, we need a fresh start. And so we need to make some new decisions in our life. But that's not the beginning of a journey with Jesus. A beginning of the journey with Jesus is the same as it was for me. It comes from a place of knowing that you're destitute, knowing that all your efforts will fail, and knowing that the only way to be reconciled to God is to receive it as it is, as a free gift. It's something that God does. You know, finally, finding and following Jesus is not a self-help program. And there's so much of our culture that just says, here's, you know, 10 ways, if you like look at BuzzFeed on the news or whatever, it's, you know, here's 10 ways to improve your life, you know? And really all of those things are always pointing to this false narrative that you somehow through your own efforts can make your old life new again. And it's all a complete lie, but the truth and the glory and the beauty of the gospel is that if you belong to Jesus, you are a new person, but it's not because of something that you do, it's something that God does and it's a free gift to you. You know, we tend to work for the new that God gives us freely in Jesus. And in our culture, there's lots of ways that that manifests itself. I wanna name two. Uh, Number one, moralism. Moralism is this philosophy that says, I can be good enough, I can be a good enough person to make myself new. I can somehow be good enough. It's false, you can't be good enough. The scriptures tell you that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all of your efforts are futile. You're bankrupt before God. Secondly, our culture tells us that it's really individualism. I can self-actualize into the best version of myself. And so much of the world's teaching that we consume day after day after day says, you know, it's really up to you. I'm at the center of my life and I can self-actualize my way into being a better version of myself to living my best life now and it's false. But you see, the message of Jesus is to die to your old self and to be born again into a new life, a new way, and a new hope. You see, there's no greater moment than when all of your old meets all of God's new. All of God's new. Jesus came that you might have new life, to become a new person, to have a new identity, to have new meaning, but secondly, to give you new purpose. And that's what Paul continues to talk about in verse 18, he says, after he says, all this is a gift from God, he says, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. And you see, not only does God give you a new identity, he gives you a new purpose for your life. And isn't that something that we're deeply longing for? At different stages of our life, if you're young and you're just starting out and you're in high school, you're heading to college, you know, a question at the center of your life is like, what's my life gonna be about? What's my contribution really going to be? How am I going to leverage the gifts that God's given me in a way that impacts the world? And then really, as we move through life at different stages all along the way, we keep asking that question. And it hurts often because our culture says your identity is so tied up in what you do, your performance, the impact that you make. That's who you are. But it's a lie. And so Paul reminds us that part of becoming a new person is having a new purpose. And he says there's two aspects to this new purpose. There's a message and a ministry that's given to you. And this isn't like unique for any person. It's if you belong to Christ, you have a new purpose 
and you might have a unique way of living this out, but at the end of the day, he's given a message and a ministry, and I just want to unpack briefly what that looks like. First, the message, verses 19 and verse 21. Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So I just want to hone in on a couple of words there. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And I don't know what jumps off the page to you as I read that, but I'll tell you the word that jumps out to me is world. World. You think about this for a second because this isn't a theological abstraction. This was an actual event that took place in human history that the God who made the entire universe, if you go outside tonight and you look up at the, at the sky and you see the vastness of the heavens and the stars and you look around at the creation beside of you, just contemplate for a moment that the God who made all of that entered into the world in human history, that he came in embodied form and that he came as a humble carpenter, he came as a poor man in, into an out-of-the-way place, a place that didn't matter in the world. We talk a lot about Israel. Israel was not a big place. He picked the smallest, most insignificant tribe in the world to be called his people. And he entered into human history in poverty. His first days were lived as a refugee. And so he came not in power, but in humility. And just think about that for a moment, that God was in Christ, that God incarnate came into the world in human form, not in power, but in humility and in poverty and in meekness. For what? To reconcile. What does that word reconcile mean? It means to reconnect, to stitch back together. It's the ultimate old becoming new, that God reconnected the world to himself, that he promised to make the whole world new through this work of Jesus and that work began by relationally reconnecting us to, to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. So there's the message. He continues in verse 21, which uh, many theologians say this is one of the most important verses in all the Bible. If you want to summarize the gospel, the good news message in one verse, this is it. Verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so the message is really simple. The message is that while each of us was far off from God, while we were rebels, while we were enemies of God, that he made a way by offering himself in our place so that our sins, so that the ways that we've missed the mark where we haven't lived the way that we should, where we've broken relationship with God and each other, in all those ways that he made a way through the finished work of Jesus on the, Christ, on the cross that all could be made right with God through Christ. And that's the message. And it's not just the message of Christianity, but today I wanna remind you that this is your message individually into your world. That this is our message collectively to our city and to our broader world. The world has so many messages, but we have the most important message that the finished work of Jesus on the cross makes a way for us to be reconciled to him, to be knitted back together in relationship so that all the things that we most deeply long for 
come true. Again, well, secondly, he doesn't just give us a, a message. He gives us a ministry and a purpose. Verses 18 and 20, the second part of verse 18, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for God when we plead, come back to God. And I want you to just sit with this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this personally for yourself. Maybe some have and you've forgotten. Maybe some have never thought about this, that, you know, your purpose is not your job that you go and get paid for. That's not your deepest purpose in the world. Your purpose isn't being a parent, ultimately. Your purpose isn't your marriage, ultimately. Your purpose is for sure not the money that you make, the possessions that you collect. Your, your purpose is one thing that if you belong to Jesus, you've been given this message of reconciliation, the good news of Jesus, and then you've been called to be his ambassador. Not someone else, not a professional Christian. You, you've been called. You are Christ's ambassadors, making his appeal through you. And I just wanna share a brief story with you. I was in a men's group this year and we were talking about uh, this glorious reality that this is our purpose in Jesus. And uh, we were just learning about that and sharing about that. And one of the guys in the group just began to talk about uh, the guys that he worked with and how hard it was to follow Jesus when he was at work because these guys were, you know, so far off the reservation when it comes to faith. And as we sat and we listened to him, you know, one of the other guys said, hey, like, don't you think maybe... God is there with those guys, drawing him, them to himself. And the guy was like confused and he said, well, how is that? I don't, see, I don't see that. I don't see anyone talking about God. And kind of the group all at once was like, dude, it's you. You're the guy. You're the one. And I think so many of us haven't thought of ourselves that way, that you know, each of us has a relational world that we live in. We have relationships that are unique to us, friends and neighbors and colleagues and co-workers and family members. We have a relational world around us. And just contemplate for a moment that God's plan to share this ultimate vision of reconciliation with the people in your relational world is you. You are the ambassador. You are the representative. You are to be his voice to bring his message. He says, God is making his appeal through us. I hope as you sit with that, it's two things. It's, it's encouraging and it's challenging all at once. It's encouraging because you were made for great purpose. And it's challenging because each of us struggles to go against the grain and to remember this is what it means to belong to Jesus, that he's making his appeal through us. Well, we know this is difficult. Paul knew this is difficult. And so he ends this piece of his teaching by reminding us that there's a tendency we have, verse 6-1, to accept all of these things that we've just talked about, but then ignore it. To accept all of this and then ignore it. He says, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. And, and isn't that our way? 
I mean, that's my way, even as the preacher, you know, to read things about what it means to belong to Jesus and to be reminded that our identity is in him, that it's true that we've moved from old to new in our innermost being, that we're made to long for new things, that we have purpose that we don't have to construct or create or strive for. And yet we move from this place of teaching and listening to these truths and we accept it and we say, that's right. I'm inspired by that, but then we ignore it and we go on about our life. And then we go, I wonder why my life's not changing. Why do I keep moving to being old when I'm desiring to be new? And I think so often it's just because we're so forgetful and we ignore it. But Paul ends with a reminder. He says it's God's kindness and then he quotes a piece in, in the Old Testament. And he says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And so there's something in the life of God that every single day is an opportunity to be made new again. It's the beauty and the grace, the gift of God to each of us that he's made a way, that he's heard you, that he hears your cry, that you would be made new. He hears your heart, he knows what you long for, and he's made a way that you might belong to Christ, that you might find identity and purpose in him. I wanna end by reading uh, a scripture from Lamentations, and I'm gonna read it as a prayer. And I'll read it slowly, and I hope you just take this in as a way of concluding our teaching today. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Lord, we just thank you that you do make all things new again and that you've done that through the finished work of Jesus. And so Lord, I pray for us today, Lord, that we would embrace the new identity that we have, that we are new people, new creations, and that you've made us for a new work in the world. To be your ambassadors, Lord, help us to embrace this identity, to accept it and then not ignore it, to embrace it and put it at the center of our stories. And to do that today, that we would each decide today, no matter where we are, Lord, help us today to make in a fresh way a commitment to you as we remember these beautiful and glorious gifts from you. And we pray all these things in the precious and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.